Welcome to episode three of Cloud Dialogues, where we talk about contemporary cloud-related technology and concepts in a hopefully simple and easy to understand way. So today's episode is called AI for Executives, Navigating the Gen I Frontier. Meaning, how on earth did we get here? Why is Gen I so useful? Gen I, Gen AI, so useful? And where do we think it will take us? Today, we are joined by the wonderful Georgia Smith, as per usual. Hey, Georgia, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And also the incredible Pete Sparsky, AWS serverless hero extraordinaire, known for his work with Acloud Guru and Pluralsight. Hey, say hey, hey Pete. Hey, hey Matt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that wonderful intro. <laughs> thank you for coming on yeah. to our show. Uh, Pete's a published author, I think twice, is that right? Twice? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yep. and also one of the founders of the serverless meetup movement in Australia. Uh, currently we both co-run the Melbourne edition of the meetup where we get a consistent turnout each month. So, um, yeah, good afternoon, Pete. Yeah. Gen AI Hello. has taken the world by storm. Uh, so it's fueling incredible growth, especially in startup land of which I personally have not seen in a long time. I probably 2000 tech tech, the tech, um, bubble was probably the last time I saw this sort of interest and on Google trends, I looked up Google trends and there's a hockey stick graph, um, for Gen II, which really starts its rise in early 2023. Um, there's a reason for that, which we'll get to. So obviously chat GPT is probably the main reason for that. And in fact, I've, we use chat GPT to assist us in coming up with the ideas for the name for this podcast. So, you know, I gave it some ideas. It came up with a lot of dodgy names. Well, yeah, okay, they, they're kind of dodgy, but then I think it's still it, better they, than us, Matt. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's still I mean, better it's than still our definitely choices. it's substantially better than anything that we came up with. Yeah, I right. refuse to believe that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing, the cool thing is, it comes up with these no, these these words that you can you know join two together, and it actually yeah. gives you what you want. So that is it that. To me, that was you know, one of the first domain uses of you. I'm a, I'm a latecomer to Gen AI, so that's why I've got PT here to give us some, give us some tricks and tips. Um, I also used a service called revolvediv.com, R-E-V-O-L-Div.com to transcribe, transcribe the first couple of episodes, and it did a pretty good job working out what everyone's talking about and picking out the speakers. We can literally um, like transcribe the episode and then break it down into like the different talking points. So we've got a record of what we've talked about, which is amazing. Yeah. That's so useful. Yeah. And then you can search through it as well, right? Yeah. So yeah, what a library. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and the other thing, the probably the first thing I saw when um, we had Lars come to, Lars Clint, who some of you may know, come to our meetup last year and he was doing some, um, the art, art. Uh, was it was that mm-hmm. Dali that he was using, or was it another? One? I, I can't think remember. so. It would have been Dali or yeah, Mid Journey, yeah. one of the two. Yeah. And and um and just typing in some text for those who haven't used it, typing in text and coming up with pictures and stuff was like magical. To, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, magical. And more recently, we've seen obviously the funny pictures with people with more than five fingers and more than two arms and more, you know. But you sometimes you don't necessarily notice until you're looking hard. So, um, that's, I guess that's kind of the intro. Um, so 
Pete, you're now, after your previous work, co-founder of a startup called Heart Hands, which, tell us about it. What, what, what is Heart Yeah, Hands? Matt, thank you, Matt. So Heart Hands, we are an incubator. So we, so Sam Krunenberg and, and I have founded this um, kind of like incubator startup. And our idea is to really try a whole bunch of very interesting AI based or AI driven projects. And, you know, we think that with this proliferation of generative AI and of course, cloud computing, machine learning, um, like we can create applications with beautiful, amazing, but spectacular user experiences, something that hasn't been possible before. And I think it's that combination of cloud, of generative AI, putting it together, we can really make something special. So what we are doing is we are grabbing a whole bunch of ideas. We are experimenting. We're figuring out what's, what works, what doesn't. Um, and like we'll churn through a bunch of ideas and hopefully we'll find a few that work and we'll spin them out as kind of their own proper projects, companies that can live on and grow beyond us. Okay. So is there um, any any particular focus areas that you're working on? Um, you know what? We are actually completely open to anything. Um, so our first product, and I cannot go into too much detail about it. I promise it's going to go public very soon. We just need, I don't know, a few more weeks to get, you know, things right. Um, it's a consumer product, right? So the first one is consumer, and it's really a way for us to learn more about AI, learn more about generative AI and how things work. Because, you know, there are some intricacies, like there are some problems and issues we need to solve. And I'm, I'm sure we'll speak about them later. Um, so yeah, it's an opportunity for us to learn, but we're open to anything. Like we could be doing enterprise products next, tooling, like anything is possible. And I think like the opportunity space is incredible. So many things we can do with this kind of thing. The, is there any particular um, background on the name, like where, where, where the name came yeah, from? Yeah, Hard Hands. You know, like people are a little nervous about AI and rightfully so. I completely understand, you know, what is this? This is new technology. It looks magical to a lot of people. It, it is scary. So we want to just say that, look, AI can be used for good. So it's Hard Hands. It's like, you know, our logo is like, you know, two hands making a heart. We just want to say that we'll build products for people. It's got to be something that helps kind of humanity. That's what we're aiming to do. Um, and yeah, it'll be a positive um, impact to society. You've been big in the serverless space recently. Is there any parallels that you see coming from the serverless uh, world? Parallels to serverless world. Look, you know, it's funny. I came with the serverless when it was just really starting up. And I thought I was on the cutting edge of the cutting edge. It was really so new and so brilliant. And it was like, oh my God, what is this thing? It will revolutionize everything. And honestly, I feel very similar about generative AI. I feel like we are really at the precipice. This is, this is really only the start. Like it, it is a revolution already, but this is just the start. And it, it, it feels exciting. It feels scary. It feels like, oh my God, where is this thing going to go next? Uh, but I think the, yeah, the opportunities for this, as I'm sure we'll talk about are incredible. So yeah, very exciting. It does remind me of the early serverless days, but I think the opportunity space is even larger 
because it, like, the application of it is so immense. I remember when the whole web free, you know, blockchain thing came out and like, I hear comparisons now and like, to me, blockchain was always like, hmm, I cannot really see a use case. And look, there are some use cases. They are quite yeah, I, niche. That, I saw that too. I thought that too. A lot of people did. You know, but for, but honestly, and I never was really on board with blockchain, right? There are some great companies like Windia who, you know, do software on blockchain for parties that don't trust one another and they need to have, you know, a way to guarantee um, shipments or whatever. But it's very niche. But with generative AI, like I feel this is a real thing. This is something that can really, really change the world, hopefully in a positive way. Um, but yeah, this is not just, you know, a thing in time right now. This will actually last for a lot longer. What do you think the, um, the, what do you think, what do you see as the reason why it's now so, such a big thing? Like, what do you think was the trigger for that? You know, I think, uh, look, you know, we've all been kind of, I've been playing with different AI, ML projects, products, um, but you always kind of felt constrained by the things that you could do and things that you couldn't do. I remember when Siri came out originally, right? It was kind of cool, but mm -hmm. it was constraining because you had to say things in a certain way, otherwise Siri wouldn't understand and, you know, you wouldn't get an answer. But with generative AI, you can really express yourself in natural language, right? And that understanding, um, and yeah, I'm sure we can talk about how it's done, but that understanding is kind of there, right? You can get a response that makes sense a lot of the time. And it feels like you're talking to something that can really have an interaction with you. So it's, it's kind of that next level jump um, in terms of what you can do with it. So it feels like, Sometimes it feels like magic. You ask a question, you ask, you know, ChatGPT to write a poem about something and it writes you a poem and you go, wow, that is how. Same with the images. You can draw images, generative music that is coming out, right? So you can write a prompt to say, hey, I want music of this style with this particular beat. Um, it needs, it can remind me of this other song and you'll get, you know, generated music that resembles what you asked for. And that just feels, I think, amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's what a world we live in, Matt. So you've experimented with all different things for a while. Um, do is was there? Were you instantly when ChatGPT came out? Was it instantly an aha moment for you? Like, yes, it was. Yes, it was very, very cool. In fact, I. First couple of times I tried it, I was like, well, how does this work? What's the magic? I, I don't understand. Why is it actually taking my input? It, it's getting what I'm trying to say and it's providing me with something that makes sense. Like even when my input, when my text and my prompt isn't structured very well, when it isn't written, but it's still giving me an answer, which is sufficient. And then I have that context. I can actually ask further questions. And I get further clarifying answers. I'm like, I was like, wow, this is something, there's something there. Um, so, but again, like this is only version 0.1 and there are still issues, you know, hallucinations is, is a big problem. Sometimes you ask a question, um, especially about something that is real, historical or technical, and you may get a, an answer that 
doesn't make sense, doesn't exist. Although it is given with like a lot of confidence, which always feels good. Um, that is a problem, um, and I'm sure it will be solved in time. Uh, but for a lot of applications, uh, like running blog posts, for example, something that's creative, it's incredible because you will get, you know, an answer that makes sense, that resembles what you asked for, um, that you can use. Yeah. I'll, I'll give an example of my first experience. So mm. I was a latecomer. Um, I'm, again, I thought it was a fad or something. That's why I'm not <laughs> sure. But it was just probably maybe three months ago. I, I needed, I work in the AWS world. Um, and my, I needed, I needed to write some cloud formation for a specific, you know, problem. And normally when you're doing that, you have a cloud formation for those who don't know is an automation tool around deploying AWS services. So all, um, cloud engineers and, and people use it all the time. And I needed to write a config rule. It's just a standard AWS service to do a specific thing around an S3 bucket. I typed my prompt in and out came CloudFormation template, which normally I might have to spend half an hour, 15 minutes looking for the right documentation for the right parameters. And the, what I got back was almost perfect. Like, yeah. and, and, and to me that was like, oh, hey, that's pretty useful. And this yeah. was a few months yeah. ago before it was even updated. Yeah, and Matt, I totally agree. So I use ChatGPT to help me write code as well. Um, and a lot of the time it works. I ask a question, especially when it comes to like writing algorithms, you know, write something for me that does this. And I get pretty, you know, good code. But I remember once I was doing something with um, GCP, Google Cloud Platform, and it gave me some code and I tried it and it just wouldn't work. And I'm like, what? code did it give you? So it kind of dreamed up a library that didn't really even exist and pretended that that library was doing a function that it needed to execute. And it's okay. Like I found something else. I replaced it. I made it work. But for a second, I was like taken aback. I was like, what, what is this that it's given me? So I think, um, the answer, like the lesson that I learned is that yes, for code, uh, for technical things, we just need to be careful. Right. Mm -hmm. It could work very well out of the box, but it could also have failures, right? It may just hallucinate or imagine certain things that don't even exist. So we just need to be careful and thorough with what we have. But again, like we're talking in 2023, right? This is October. By this time next year, this problem could be solved. So when we ask for something technical code, whatever, it could actually be close to perfect. I mean, that's how quickly things are moving. Um, I'll pass over to Georgia. What have you used ChatGPT for? I know you've used it recent, in recent times. Well, I was just thinking about what you were saying there, Pete, because I think it's definitely not a problem that's isolated to code. Like, and I was having a discussion with a bunch of other people that were like going through looking for new jobs. Um, a few people, a few of my friends are kind of looking for the next opportunity at the moment. And one of the things that we were talking about was how chat GPT will kind of like make things up on cover letters. And, and so mm -hmm. one of the things you have to be careful about is to go through and check that document before you submit it to make sure that you're not lying just because simply of something that chat GPT has kind of made up. Um, so I thought that was an interesting correlation is that, yes, there's the same, the same challenge is with language as well. 
Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Wasn't there a famous um, example of a lawyer using ChatGPT in a court case? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, right? And it hallucinated a whole bunch of up. precedents yes. that didn't exist. And he <laughs> came to court with it and it wasn't real. And I was like, how could you? How could you do this? How could you not even check? Yeah. Why? Like for a lawyer, especially, it just blew my mind that this is, but you know, this is, if it happened, um, yes. I'll tell you another story uh, because I have a huge ego. Um, I decided to see what kind of biography could ChatGPT produce for me. I can tell you that it maybe got 10%, 10% right. Something <laughs> that was probably online that wasn't jested about me. And the rest was completely made up. I'd say 90% was just, but it was fantastical. It was so good. I was just, I was loving my fake biography. I was like, man, I, I wish this was real. I would definitely take that. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely come up with crazy, crazy things. Uh, but my God, how much confidence is it? In fact, yes, Peter Sparsky was born on this year to parents named this and that. No hesitation. It's not like. <laughs> Maybe this isn't right. Maybe, you know, there's a probability that this isn't true. It's like, yes, this actually happened. He is 77 years old, you know, so there you so, go. So for our listeners, um, there's actually a couple of versions of ChatGPT, right? So there's the standard free one and then there's the paid for one. Did you use both and compare them? Yes. So you can actually use, so there's, there are different versions like 3.5 and 4. And there are kind of like the free um, versions of both that you can use, or you can pay down to have kind of like fewer restrictions. And yeah, um, there isn't really any change in capability. It's just how many prompts, how many requests, how many questions you can ask. That's oh, okay. really kind of um, where the money comes in. So it's, right. it's a free trial effectively when you don't pay. One thing I wanted to touch on was, and I think, for, especially for our listeners, one of the things that as executives and executive teams that we're continually working towards is really nailing down that customer experience and that user experience mm -hmm. so that we can develop products that like surprise and delight our customers every day. Yes. And I think one of the things that you touched on was like about creating amazing user experiences with yep. AI. So can you, can you like tell us a bit more about that? Because for me, this is something that's like so, as someone that has spent, you know, the last few years working with executives to help develop products and services, like how do we use it to our advantage? Yeah. Yeah. The way I imagine is that we can use um, things like ChatGPT to really kind of help drive kind of that user experience, right? Because imagine if your application could actually understand what your user was trying to do. If your user could actually have a sensible conversation and if your user interface or the experience of the application could change in response to what the user was trying to do, you can, you can actually now create not just kind of like a built-in chatbot into your website that nobody likes to use, but you can actually learn what the user is trying to do and then actually modify the experience of the application. So like a dynamic so kind of user experience. Dy dynamic user experience. Absolutely. You can, wow. you know, if, if you can, you can do it in different ways, right? You can have really voice driven applications, right? That your users can actually use to talk to the application and you can take that input and you can process and you can output something that will drive your application and it will usually work. And 
you know, if it doesn't, you can build certain safeguards. Um, you can, you, you can just, you can really kind of introduce that, yeah, dynamic nature to, to, um, your software. And then of course, inside an enterprise, you can use it for so many different tasks, right? You can produce copy, you can use, um, anything creative really adds. Imagine if you had a system, I was kind of thinking, oh, that would be a cool idea that would kind of create ads for your company, right? And it would just kind of automatically adjust ads based on some performance mm -hmm. metrics yeah. without any human user input, right? It could actually drive itself. So I think there are a lot of interesting kind of possibilities we can explore um, because we have something that's so malleable. I always think that, that these sort of applications of AI should be our like first port of call as obviously it becomes more mature because I think and what I've seen over yeah. the last few years and interested to get your thoughts on this as well, Pete, is like lots of failed use cases around AI because we've mm -hmm. started with the technology. It's like, okay, we want we want, want to do something cool with this technology as opposed to starting with, well, who's the customer that we're trying to serve and what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then the technology follows, right? Um, but I think that's definitely what I tell my executive friends is like, let's use it to create internal efficiencies where we can yeah. and let's start focusing on that as a, as a learning experience, even to begin with, as you know, it becomes more mature and we can use it to actually interface with our customers. Yeah. Yeah. I think smart organizations are doing exactly that. They are adopting it internally. They're learning what this is, Absolutely. just as we are in our startup, right? We're trying to learn, you know, what are the capabilities, where are the pitfalls, what are the things that don't really work at this yep. time, um, but how then but then hopefully we'll take that knowledge and we'll be, build something special. And I'm sure a lot of enterprises are doing exactly that. The ones that are really looking forward, they are seeing that this is something um, that will be with us, that will continue to evolve really quickly. And even if there are any gaps or problems right now, my God, six, 12 months, they could be solved, right? Maybe two years, who knows? But like this technology is moving so fast. I actually said to my co-founder, to Sam, I was like, we're building this application. And like, to me, it's incredible what it can do. And again, sorry for not revealing it just now, but I promise I'll, we'll do, we'll do another podcast. I'll reveal. We'll I'll give our listeners an update talk about at some it. stage. Yeah. And absolutely. And absolutely. But it's done 100%. But I said to Sam, we're not just solving like one problem. I feel like we're solving 12 problems, 12 hard problems at the same time, because we're using, you know, things like ChatGPT, we're using, um, image, um, kind of like generative image, um, creation. I, I, to me, it feels like we're building a plane as it is flying and the ground under us is shifting as well because everything is developing so quickly. Like this, like everything is progressing at such a rapid pace. That I feel literally, I go on, you know, Twitter, not well, Twitter. Can you still say Twitter? I don't know. X. And I just there's Twitter. something Twitter new. To us. I still say Twitter. I'm so old school. I'm so just, do we. I, yeah. Yeah. There's something new nearly every day. So there's a lot of interest, a lot of passion, a lot of drive. And this is a very, very yeah, interesting space. So, what do you say? So, yeah, there's a lot of organizations uh, planning how to integrate into their products and their services. Mm. There's a lot of, or I know there's a lot of execs holding out. They, they think it's another fad. What do you say to them? Look, it's, 
I wouldn't want to go and convince anyone um, that yeah, you have to use this. I think if you see a use case, if you see a pain pain point, if you see a problem in your organization or in your software that you have produced, you know, it makes sense to have a think whether this is a tool that can solve that pain point. Maybe it can, maybe not. I, we don't know. But I think there is something there. It's, uh, there's a reason I think why people are really kind of exploring this space um, right now. I know, for example, there are a lot of startups in like developer tooling that are trying to find a way to leverage generative AI. And maybe they haven't found it yet. So like this developer tooling in terms of like CI, CD, continuous integration and deployment pipelines, coding, right? There is like, there's, there's software like Copilot, for example, right? Where you, when you code, you get suggestions, right? It's like an AI agent that tells you, hey, I think you're trying to build this. Here's an example. Um, so that's a great use case. But there are a bunch of companies now trying to figure out how to use generative AI to solve other technical problems for developers. So I think it's coming. We are really at the very start scratching the surface. But like Georgia said, I think the smart organizations are really kind of looking at it internally and trying to figure out what this is and how it could work for them to overtake competition, to really kind of get ahead because maybe you can. Absolutely. Um, the, so one thing you mentioned Copilot. So one thing I didn't realize while I was doing some research for the show is that was based on, uh, chat GPT three, which was released last year. Yeah. Um, so that it was, I think that, so chat GPT has a model behind it, which is the GPT three model and 3.5, which is the current one and four as well. The three, from my understanding, the three was a static, um, model, you know, at a particular point in time. And when 3.5 came out earlier this year, that was based on pretty much a lot of internet content, which made it all completely up to date, right? And even now, even the latest one, what, three, two or three weeks ago, was updated even more to be able to have more current content. So, um, how do you see you know, it? Keep going. Sorry, you know, Matt, sorry, how, if you should thoughts or I dropped you. How do you, how do you see it? Um, how do you see that changing in your mind over the next few months? You know, it's, it's an interesting situation because sometimes OpenAI, for example, the makers of ChatGPT, they say that, no, look, it's ChatGPT 3.5 is locked and it isn't changing, right? But then sometimes I see for myself that it is different, that today the answers that it gives me are very different to the answers it used to give it's me learning. two weeks ago. Yeah. It's learning. Something is changing, definitely. Yes. Like I, I can see it myself. So, and our software as well that we're working on has to adapt um, to kind of the ever-changing nature of this technology, which is another interesting technical challenge. How do you adapt? Of course, so look, it will continue to grow and evolve. You know, you, there's the web browser plugin in ChatGPT, right? When you enable it and you ask a question, ChatGPT will actually go browse the web if it doesn't have a clear answer. And then it will try to incorporate some of the things that it finds back into an answer that it gives you. That's kind of cool, right? That gives you kind of more, I guess, assurance that you'll get relevant up-to-date information. Again, it may hallucinate things, so I wouldn't trust it with my life. Um, but at least it can, you know, go and find information on its own. 
I saw an article recently about Amazon restricting authors from self-publishing more than three books a day. I'm wondering, as an author yourself, would you be able to write more than three books a day? <laughs> three books a day. Oh, three my God. Oh, look. <laughs> That's crazy. I think the first, the first thought took 18 months and nearly killed me. So I, I cannot even imagine what that would be like. That's, uh, yeah. I read that and I'm like, what? I mean, I, I actually wrote a book a long time ago as well. Um, it's about a technology not, not many people use anymore, but um, that took probably 12 to 18 months as well. And Tell us, some, Matt, what was the book about? Samba. 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 Oh. Some people still use Samba, but anyway. We need classic. to get you going it's on a, another it, book, Matt. <laughs> Chat GPT. It's a classic. I'm sure it's like Shakespeare, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess No, but I guess it's the like point... the, it makes up authors. Like I was reading, I was reading an article the other day saying that there were these authors that no one could kind of verify or, and they had like, if you look at the images of the authors, you could see they had like an extra ear or whatever. It was quite obvious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's a little sad, but what can you do, right? It's, well, uh, yeah. Um, the other article I saw recently actually was today, in fact, so you might not have seen it, but basically, um, uh, they're looking at the use of chat bots in schools to, uh, yes. um, improve, um, to help students with their learning and you know, obviously, um, with different technology, you know, the internet, Wikipedia, you can't always trust every source, but I don't see it any different to that. What do you think? I have a thought on this, but Georgia, what do you, you go first? No, no, no. I think like, I do think that, like, I don't think there's any point in resisting it as, as like educational institutions. I think resisting it is, is probably going to cause more problems than, you know, perhaps putting guardrails around it. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of organizations are looking at now is like, how do they, I think that it's probably going to drive a different way of assessing the competence of students in, in school, whether it be, you know, high school, whether it be postgraduate study. Like I, I think we've got to embrace it because it's not going away. So I totally agree. I think it's not going away. First of all, I think if it's implemented properly, it could be an incredible way to augment education yeah. because I don't know about both of you, but I remember sitting in a class doing math and I wouldn't get things. And maybe I asked the teacher a couple of times. But that was it. In a class of 30 kids, I couldn't ask more than twice. Yeah. And then I'd be like super embarrassed because I still wasn't getting it. I wish there was a way where I could literally ask, like, explain this equation to me, explain how to do it step by step and have a breakdown, which ChatGPT can do very well, where I can clearly, clearly articulate every step, every point, here's what happens, here's the next thing to make it clear for me. I feel for me as a student, it would have helped immensely. Right. So I think if it's implemented as a teaching aid, it can be absolutely very powerful and very helpful. And, uh, you know, yeah. And then there are kids who want to advance, who want to excel, and they sometimes have to just sit there and go with the rest of the class, help them go faster, you know, have them, why not have that chatbot throw with a few, you know, trickier questions, um, to help those students advance faster. So, but it needs to be done properly, of course. Yeah. That, that, um, yeah, makes total sense. 
um, the, so as we wind up, um, the, the episode, what do you think? So we've kind of talked about the future, but I guess what, how do you see the future? Like if you had a crystal ball in 12 months, we've seen so much in the last six months, really, it's been, it's really only been six months. Yeah. Right. When you think about it, um, what do you think the next 12 months has in, in store for us? I think this area will explode even further. So there'll be more use of ChatGPT um, and Tropic, um, which is a competitor to OpenAI. Uh, there'll be other companies coming up. Um, I think for developers, it'll become easier and easier to integrate and use um, generative AI. Um, there are some challenges at the moment especially when you try to do certain things and then you get an output that you don't expect, for example. But I think there will be frameworks, there will be tooling, things will get under control a little bit more. And I think we'll see honestly generative AI or AI agents built into a lot of the software that we use today. And it will become natural. We may not even notice it. It's just going to be a part of like what we do, right? We'll be able to speak to something or the interface will adjust to what we are doing. Or there'll be a chatbot at school, you know, that you can talk to in, an, in your natural language. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if there are movies that are created by generative AI. We could see that. Music, it's weird to think about. It really is. But, you know, maybe there'll be a game, like a really triple A title, a beautiful game, beautiful graphics, storyline, music, action, whatever mostly built by generative AI, put like different things put together. So yeah, I, honestly, it's hard to imagine. I think honestly, what I'm saying now in four months to two years will be like, come on, grandpa, this is like old school. <laughs> what are you looking forward to saying, Georgia? Anything in particular? No, I think, I, I think it's just going to be an amazing tool to like we were talking about, it's for customer experience and like even for things like consolidating user research and customer research, like I think it provides an amazing platform to do that. But I think, you know, key takeaway for our listeners probably is like where there are, perhaps if it's not something that you're jumping into already, maybe having to think about where there are some internal applications of this sort of technology so that your teams can start to learn about it so that as it advances, you know, you can stay up to date with your competitors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and look, just to add to that, absolutely for enterprise use cases, there are going to be a lot of them. One easy one that just comes to mind immediately is being able to take all your data, financial data, operational data, yes. and just ask using normal real languages, just ask, you know, what are the trends? Tell me the insights that you find, right? Actually. Absolutely. giving it to that generative AI and having it kind of discover interesting patterns, doing the analysis, creating reports. They don't need a data engineer and a lot of data engineers, but like generative AI will be able to do a lot of that heavy lifting. So if you're an exec and you want some information right now, you want to understand all the data, my God, how easy will it be? So, and you could, absolutely. And yeah. that could be a basis for a data engineer. They could take that information and, and improve it and you know, find the problems. And, and oh, efficiencies are crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You start off with that and then you obviously fine tune it the way you want it to. And yeah, it, 
so much, yeah, faster. I, I see parallels with bringing cloud into organizations too, because a lot of organizations were um, scared about cloud, totally. like when it first came out, this is the time for them to not be scared. And all they have to do is carve out a small team, an experimentation team, right? Yeah. It, it just has to be a month, go away, see what you can come up with and come back. And, and with all these other models around, you don't actually have to use the public models. There's, you know, Bedrock um, on AWS, which have other models with a nice API around it. Uh, Microsoft have a private version as well. Absolutely. Um, and Google yeah, you don't need to give your data well. to anybody. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Keep it within your account. So there's a lot of experimentation there, which I think is super, super potentially powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that people should be experimenting. And the them. other thing, Matt, it's very easy to get started. This is why it reminds me of serverless as well. I remember when Lambda came out, which is just so easy to go and create a Lambda function and ran, it did think something and it was done. Same, same thing here. Like at least the services that I've used, like Anthropic with Bedrock, um, OpenAI, ChatGPT, it's very easy to get started, right? Yeah. It kind of looks serverless model because you ask, you give it a prompt, you give it some data, for example, and then you get back an answer. So it's this kind of conversation that takes place. Um, so for developers who are used to dealing with APIs, fine, they can get into it immediately. You don't need to have a machine learning background. I don't. Hmm. You don't need to have an AI background. This is really just working with APIs, which is bread and butter for, you know, most engineers, most developers. And most companies and enterprises obviously have that capability in-house. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Pete. Um, appreciate the conversation. Amazing. Very yeah. insightful. And thank you for coming on as our first guest for the, uh, for the podcast. Oh, Hopefully we'll you see so you much. again soon for an update, Pete. Done. I'll be back. Awesome. All right. Awesome. We'll pencil you in. So, Georgia, do you want to close out? How can, we have? Oh, uh, how, how can people contact us? Oh, how can people contact us? Yes, two ways. Um, so email, you can email us, feedback at cloud-dialogues.com. We always love to receive feedback and that drops straight into my emails. Um, alternatively, we do have a web form on our website, cloud-dialogues.com. So you can jump in there and submit us ideas for topics. Um, I know this was one that we did receive. So whoever asked for generative AI, a few people asked for generative AI. We have done that now. Um, so we are listening. We, we aim to please. We aim to please. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thanks all for your time and um, see you next episode.